What's the best way to show your love for Question of the Day? Just go to iTunes and write us a review. And while you're there, be sure to subscribe. That way, you won't miss this. Why do window seats of a train or a bus make us think deeply about life? I like that. Yeah, because like if I, so if I take the train. Are we recording? Yeah. This is the beginning. This is it. We've begun. So if I take the train up to Cold Spring where my kids are, I'm looking out the window. It's on, there's a riverside and a non-riverside. If I look at the river, it's really beautiful going up the Hudson River and there's mountains on the other side and it's just super beautiful. And particularly when the leaves are changing in the fall and so on. So why does looking out the window on a bus or a train, and I, I think it's interesting bus or a train because you're moving. So as opposed to just looking out the window of your apartment or looking out the window of a plane where it doesn't really seem to be moving because you're just in blue. So why, why does sitting on the side of a train or a bus make us think deeply about life? What is it about it that's sort of meditative? Wow. And what do you think about? I love the question. I do think you're right. There is something. Right. I, I, I mean, you say it doesn't happen when you sit still, although some people do seem to get that depth out of sitting at the ocean, for instance. I mean, that's why some people... We've talked earlier about sitting at the beach, neither of which, uh, neither you or I are a fan of that. We get bored. Right. But I do know that some people, that's the place where they have that feeling. I'm more on the camp of like the moving window. It definitely happens to me on a plane. Partly, I love looking out at the ground from a plane. Even I've, even though I've flown a couple thousand times, I still love to just look at the ground from 30,000 feet and from 5,000 feet. But usually from 30,000 feet, you can't see the ground. I mean, well, it just it's looks clear, like these, you can. It looks sure. like these big blocks, these big no, squares. No, it's clear, man. Seeing the Rocky Mountains from above. Um, but no, what is what is that? It, it is almost like um, a sensory. Does it make you think of like the passing of time and how? And also, it's very. On the one hand, it's stress reducing, like looking at these scenes of nature just <laughs> pass by. But on the other hand, but on it's the stressful other, for you. On the other <laughs> hand, it, there's a storytelling aspect, like you're passing these towns, like one story after another. I don't know. I'm just trying to. Okay, if I had to answer the question, you do. I, I you do have to answer. <laughs> that's what that's what your job is. You answer questions. All right. Here's what I would say. I would say that the reason that... That's what I pay you for. <laughs> I would say the reason that many people at least have that feeling. Can you ask... I just want to hear the exact phrasing of the question again. It was when you're why, on... Why do window seats of a train or a bus make us think deeply about yeah. life? So I would say that if you are the kind of person who does think deeply about life when you're sitting in a window, and I would put myself in that category, I think it might be because when you are sitting still somewhere, could be your house, could be your job, could be on the golf course, whatever, you could be at the supermarket, or even if you're making, going about your routine, shopping, you're on a bike, you're driving your car, whatever, you've got a, a locus there, you've got a location that is A, pretty familiar, and B, pretty small. And I think a re as a result of that, you feel like you can not necessarily control that locus, but you feel in command of your place within it. I think, however, when you're in a moving vehicle, especially one that you don't have control over, I'm not driving the train or the bus, I'm not flying the plane, and you're going through space, there's a couple things that are happening. One, you're not in control of your destiny. Two, you're in an unfamiliar place. But three, and this is the big one I would say, is you feel the vastness of the world. If I'm me in my office at a supermarket, whatever, 
the world doesn't seem that big or vast or inexplicable or diverse or anything. But the minute you get out there and you're in that window seat, you just feel a little bit, I don't use this to diminish any of us, you feel a little bit like a speck. You're like a speck compared to all of those all think, those places, you, you all those opportunities, all those other people, and think I think there, that's humbling. You think there's anything evolutionary going on? Because ah, oh, you I'm had to go ask, there. I'm just going to ask because it's not like it's only in the past 100 years that or 200 years that you had this kind of phenomenon. So for the past four million years, we didn't. So is it like really unusual to the brain? So it puts the brain in kind of like this weird state. I hate to I hate to agree with one of your evolutionary cockamamie ideas. Like we can't understand what's happening, so that's yeah. why it seems so vast. You know what? I have no idea if the can't understand what's happening part of it is legit. But yeah, I, I would I would not have a hard time believing that uh, our brains haven't been totally rewired yet to accept how natural it is to travel, that it still feels unnatural. In, in fact, I don't know if you ever told you the story. This is not quite a parallel, but it reminds me of it. Uh, when the Brooklyn Bridge was being built, and they had built, I think, the support, or the, basically they started from the two ends to meet in the middle. So on the Manhattan side, the, the, the support and then the beginning of the bridge were something like the equivalent of maybe like eight to ten stories high. But there were no buildings that high. The tallest buildings, those old tenement buildings, like four and five stories high. So people were literally not used to being that high up above the ground. And when people would go up the span, they opened it up so you could walk out onto the onto the beginning of it, according to the David McCullough book about the Brooklyn Bridge. And I'd like to think he's a pretty good historian and that some of this is true. Some people would just like pass out at the sensation, the weirdness of being so high up. They're standing above their homes in a way that just disoriented them so much that some probably very small fraction just passed out. So I think, yeah, I think if you take people out of their context, look, if you were born and raised in and uh, grew up in a one-room shack with one window and never went outside, and then you just walked outside one day like Kimmy Schmidt, and walk to the end of the block, even that would be disorienting. So I think that the notion of traveling in that window seat just opens a much, much, much vaster um, panorama. To me, what's interesting is even for people who've ridden, sat in hundreds or thousands of window seats, the sensation, I think, still exists. For me, it hasn't really diminished. Stick around. There's more question of the day coming up right after this break. Today's show is sponsored by Howl.fm, which by now you know is an awesome comedy network likened to being the Netflix for podcasts, brought to you by the same people that bring you all your favorite Earwolf shows, including this one, Question of the Day. With Howl Premium, you get exclusive access to a brand new Howl original miniseries called Dead Presidents. In this new show, Daniel O'Brien from Crack.com sets out to solve one of the greatest mysteries of our time figuring out why certain American presidents appear on our cash. From the humble first president George Washington on the $1 bill to the controversial Andrew Jackson on the 20 for now, the stories behind the presidents on your money are way more surprising and way crazier than your high school history teacher ever could have imagined. With Howell Premium, you also get exclusive access to more than 120 hours of new Howell original miniseries and audio documentaries like The Complete Woman, Finding the Funny with the Sklar Brothers, and Fruit. You also gain access to more than 90 comedy albums, 
all the archives from WTF with Mark Marin and every episode of every Earwolf show, such as Comedy Bang Bang and How Did This Get Made. Get access to all this exclusive content on your iPhone, your Android phone, and on the web for only $4.99 a month. And with the promo code QOD, as in question of the day, you get a full month of free trial. To redeem your promo code, make sure you create your account on the web at howl.fm and enter code QOD at checkout. That's howl, H-O-W-L dot F-M. Use the promo code QOD for a one-month free trial of Howl Premium. So given that it seems like a positive thing, like you feel more peaceful, you feel like, oh, you're a bigger piece of a larger universe. I'm not sure that's... Universe I'm not whatever. sure I would argue that, personally. You don't feel peaceful when, when kind of, you know, driving in a train through the countryside, you don't feel like a little more at peace than the usual day? It kind of takes you out of your day a little bit. I find it to be a sometimes enjoyable sensation, but I also feel it's, like I said, it makes you feel much less consequential. Yeah, which is not necessarily a bad thing. Mm. Since most people are, it's not as if you're anybody is a real consequence. I don't usually strive to feel inconsequential. I kind of feel strive to feel inconsequential. You do? Yeah, like Give why? Give me an example. Well, I don't want to think that anything I do is really of such importance that it overrides, I don't know, mm-hmm. just my general well-being and, and happiness. Yeah, I think maybe you're humbler than I am then. Because I, I strive to be consequential. Yeah, I, I don't okay, mean in, me, a, me, in a, you know, let me ask you Napoleonic this. way, necessarily. But does Alexander the Great really care any more that Alexandria was named after him? <laughs> I'm going to say no. Right. So at the end of the day, it's really true. We're inconsequential. Yes. Truth. Yes, but that doesn't mean that we don't perpetuate the fiction. But... I think the reason that I and a lot of people strive to be consequential is because it feels like it's a way of ordering an often disorderly world. I don't know. I feel like what? How can you po- like? There's seven billion people on I the know. planet. I D- know. James, you're you, right. It's a how fiction. How can you order the world? It's a pure. I can order my tiny corner of the world, and the only reason I want to do that is because it makes me internally feel better. That it's purely self-interest. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. So then, when you get on the train or the plane. There's something freeing in that mechanism that is both awe-inspiring, but also, like I said, um, it's 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 humbling in good and bad ways. Where well, it makes I kind of so let's say it's so okay. Three fourths good, one fourth bad. Is there any way to simulate? I that? love how you keep tipping it to the positive. Because well, I'm, you just did. You just did. You said you gave two things, and then you one thing you split in half, one thing you gave all good. All right. So three fourths good, one fourth bad. And uh, how can you simulate that without getting on a plane or or a train or a bus? Hmm. You could maybe listening to this podcast. Uh, reading <laughs> real, does, real ma- listening to this podcast makes you realize how inconsequential <laughs> you are in life. I think it makes it makes you realize how inconsequential we are. Um, you know, I think that's why people read. I think that's why people uh, all escapism a little bit. Yeah. Um, you know, to it's, me, it's kind of a meditation. Yeah. Yeah. Are you meditating these days? Not as much. Yeah. Not really. No. You do you Zero. want do you want to be meditating more than you are? No, I'm fine. I'm fine with where I am. Felt it wasn't doing much for you? No, I actually think there's a lot of benefits to meditation. I just haven't been doing it lately. Mm-hmm. You do it when you, when you want to. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be forced into doing anything. Mm-hmm. So let me ask you a question. When's the last time you got lost in thought on a train or a plane, and where did your mind go? I think going up to visit my kids in Cold Spring, New York, and where my mind went was, you know, it always goes to kind of like, 
oh, I've been doing this for a really long time, mm. visiting my children. They're going to be grown up soon. And, you know, I'll be older. And what am I doing with my life? Or do mm. I care? Why do I even care what I'm doing with my life? It's just pretty outside. That doesn't sound very life-affirming or happy. I like being melancholy when... Uh, mm. I, I'm a bigger believer in sadness is life-affirming than, mm. than some artificial happiness. Mm-hmm. Now, that's also... The circumstances of that trip are that that's a that's a repeat trip. Yes, and B, it's a trip with a purpose that carries some melancholy to it. What about the last time you were at a window seat going somewhere maybe you'd never been before, and you were in a different state of mind than going to visit your kids? I think it removes my brain from its daily stresses because it's an unusual thing. It's outside of my routine, right? But almost by definition, because you just said I was mm-hmm. viewing landscapes or scenes that were, mm-hmm. were not in my routine. And I think when you, whenever you get out of your routine, it in a weird way, it expands your comfort zone. So you don't really know what your... There's a comfort zone, and that we all have two zones, the comfort zone and then outside the comfort zone. So you're, you don't know what your full picture is unless you're in as long a time as possible outside of your comfort zone. So I think so, a situation like that puts you in a safe way outside your comfort zone. And I think that's a, that's a life-affirming thing as you figure out who you really are. So is the goal to make your own personal comfort zone larger or to keep your comfort zone where it is and just make more frequent forays outside of it? I think the geography of the mind here is sort of a qualitative thing and not a quantitative thing, but uh, I think in general it helps you figure out who you really are. Mm. Do you remember the poet Edna St. Vincent Millay? Yes, but I can't recount to you any of her poetry. I can recount to you exactly one line of her poetry, but I think it's appropriate in this conversation. She once wrote... There isn't a train I wouldn't get on. This was fun. We'll hear a clip from the next QOD right after this. I'm Sarah Thayer. And I'm Susan Orlean. And nothing makes us happier than hearing what makes people cry. On our show, Crybabies, we talk to comedians, musicians, writers, and other awesome people about what makes them cry. And sometimes we cry too. But it's the good kind of crying. Therapeutic. Yeah. Like when Drew Drogi told us why he loves Dead Poets Society. When it came out, I, I loved English. I wanted to be an English teacher. I was obsessed with that whole world, and I boys boarding school. I thought that just looked so amazing. <laughs> also, like Robert Sean Leonard was like an actor, and you know, and I just thought that was such a that's such a fabulous thing to be. So listen to Crybabies. Find us on Earwolf, Howl, iTunes, or your favorite podcast app. You never know how the conversation might go on Question of the Day, but here's a taste of what the next episode will sound like. Is it a good idea to be a specialist or a generalist? Well, I think it's a good idea to be a generalist. Even if you love one category, let's say you love mathematics, okay, it's a good idea to be a generalist within the area you love. So that might mean the math of physics, the math of economics, the math of statistics, and so on, because it's usually the overlap of disciplines where you find the the next generation of innovation and ideas. Question of the Day is produced and mixed by Nathan Rossborough with Allison Hockenberry. 